Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly, and we're back with another East Tennessee Fishing Report with Ellis Ward. How you doing, Ellis? Doing good, Marv. How are you? As always, I'm just trying to stay out of trouble, and uh, I think I know you were trying to stay out of the weather business, but I think it's safe to say maybe we're on the other side of summer heat. I don't know why you got to put me in a compromising position like that. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and make the bold. I don't know why I'm doing this. Um, it, it's We're going to get another push at some point. Um, I think in, in certain places, it'll be on the, the downward trajectory. But we're just, you know, we, we get weeks of it being consistently in the 40s and 50s in january and february um so we're we're south enough for for some hot days to be left um i I will say though that those the weeks of the the 98 plus um those were sort of rare and unfortunate in the summer so I, I wouldn't say those are entirely behind us, but but those those steady, um, what what feel like slogging, week week or two at a time of of ninety pluses are. Um, I don't know. I I don't want to say they're in the rear view just because I don't want to get my expectations up. There that that was a number of the last two months we used to, we had some stretches that were. Very dry, very hot, with very big suns, and um, subsequently very tough fishing. So, I'm I'm thankful for the rain we've had, and um, pretty pumped for you know the seven and ten day forecast. Yeah, I guess the good news was at least when it was hot, it was a dry heat, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's not the heat. It's the humidity. That's some of the office speak that um, I sorely miss. <laughs> there you go. So we've got a cooling trend, right? I would imagine where you are, you're probably seeing nighttime lows well into to the mid-50s at this point. And so how is that translating to what you're seeing on the water? Yeah. So the because of how dry the summer has been, and I think I touched on this last time, but the one of the cool parts of tailwaters is that you have a very insulated source of cold, clear water. Um, but when you get these big rains and it's been dry, you know, the the, the tailwaters that we're talking to South Olson, along with the, the freestones for, for smallies and, and muskie around here, um, you know, they're adjacent to land. They're adjacent to farmland. There's little ag creeks, there's tributary rivers, and those get super muddy. And so the one of the dynamics that you see with, with generation going on and off is that you have a muddy river from the ag creeks, and then all, all the, or the little tributaries, let's say all those clear up, and between it being muddy, um, from the tributaries and all that clear water coming in, there's been a, a rise and a fall maybe twice from the from the dams. And we're talking between nine, it's it's going from tens or low hundred CFS to two thousand CFS. So the river becomes giant and in, in low water and small. So when everything clears up, 
it still takes another three or four days at a minimum to really clear up the river when it's on high water and, and it, it looks like you're getting blown out all of a sudden when the watering you know when, when that release gets to wherever you are because it's picking back up all of the sediment that it, it had left when when the water was high and the creeks were blown out so what that translates to is in my opinion awesome fishing opportunities where it's not necessarily blown out but it is very murky and it's you know there's not a bunch of debris in the water it's um it's basically like the water's clearing but it happens over an extended period of time versus you know freestones happening with the coinciding with the fall of the water so um little more prevalent on the Wataga, um, less so on the South Holston because there's less influence from, from tributaries and such. When the water does clear, and especially in low water, when when it's clear, we've kind of seen the, the beginnings of fall bugs. And, you know, on, on the Wataga, you'll see you can see just awesome like like summertime sulfur hatch equivalents of blue wings and on both rivers you can get some good some good midge action um dry fly fishing has been been tough outside of low water situations so i'll i'll be looking for that to improve as we get a little later into the fall and then the you know those nighttime lows are pretty important especially for small mountain musky fishing um I, i've been getting out fishing for for musky recently with starting a couple weeks ago um you know up in the headwaters the water is pretty cold up there anyhow and with some of the temperatures, even on the hot days, some of the temperatures at night being in the mid 50s, um, I, I was looking at peak water temperatures. You know, three o'clock in the afternoon, it's so socked in and sh and sheltered with shade. Peak water temperatures were 68, 69. Um, you know, so in the mornings they were like 64, which is a pretty cool dynamic to be looking at in late August, early September. Um, and you know those those cooling temps and all that get can get get fish fired up. So yeah, it, you know that that transition period we talked about a couple weeks ago feels feels like we're getting towards the other side of it. Yeah, and the great thing, right, is that whole transition thing is really it puts a premium on being local, right? Because um, you can't exactly time it, and so when the browns start moving, you know you want to be in Johnson City and be close because otherwise you're going to miss it. Yeah, and, you know, there's th there's a lot of different, I think, definitions of of movement and, and what what good fishing is and, and, and how to do it. Um, I, I've had one or two people call about trips and, you know, I, I tell them that in maybe in, in different words, uh, we're not going to be nymphing the middle of the river in December. 
Uh, it's just not something that I agree with and certainly not something I'm going to lean on as a business practice. Um, so, it, it, you know, that's that'll be something I'll talk about this this time of year, every year through December. Um, but that the movement beforehand, the movement after, you know, Lake Fish coming up, big, big creekers moving around, things starting to get a little more aggressive in certain ways um in my opinion that's already starting you you see certain sections just that were fishing great are no longer really fishing great and then other sections are just turning to complete fire um in i think the important part is that in conditions where otherwise i wouldn't really expect it so Clearly, there's, you know, when, when you start seeing that, it's where other conditions are all the same as when I would say, yeah, I wouldn't really expect that. Um, that's that's where you're noticing some of the, the seasonal changes. Yeah, and to put a, a finer point on the public service announcement, you know, what we're talking about, about fishing in December in the middle of the river is you're basically fishing on to fish that are on reds. Yeah, and, and you don't have to be you know to to be fishing those you don't need to be looking at a fish on a red and saying i am going to fish that red you don't need to be snagging you know there's um, people have different opinions about using eggs like if you're fishing the middle of the river in, in particular tailouts gravelly sections towards the end of pools right before ripples if you're floating through that in December in a, a stream with brown trout in it, you're fishing reds. Um, there, there's really no other way. You can just say you're fishing, but that's there, there's reds below you. So um, it's it, it's a reason weight fishing. It, it's you see it a lot. Um, I think there's some play on the the don't the don't tread on me, but you know, watching where you're waiting, starting this time of year, freestones, places that are a little more north, um, that's that process starts happening a little sooner. Um, you just you got to be mindful of what's there's so many ways to fish. There's so many different places on the river. There's different species. Um, you just don't need to be doing it. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll leave it there for now because we're going to, I'm sure, revisit it a couple more times before we get to Christmas. Um, but, uh, got a really interesting question for you, uh, from Justin and we were kind of debating before we started recording, whether this was, uh, more of a skull crusher than the last question you had, but we'll see how it all shakes out. So, uh, so Justin wanted to get your thoughts on how barometric pressure and moon phases impact targeting big fish. Yeah, I, I'm going to uh, make this, I think easier on, on everyone and limit my answer to brown trout. Is that fair? That's fair. It's your, uh, it's your fishing report too, by the way. Oh yeah, that's right. So, um, doesn't matter what you think. This is my show. <laughs> um, there's just the reason why I'm saying that is the, the, the angling community, uh, for musky and the moons there there's there's a whole 
that that's a different can of worms, I, I think, for um, the purposes of a fishing report. So barometric pressure. Um, I, I think that there's a lot to it. And I started to see this before I, I realized what, what I was doing, but I was while wade fishing in, in Pennsylvania and Virginia, Maryland, I would seek out the prefrontal conditions more out of comfort because I found, especially in the winter, I found that when there is some humidity in the air and uh, cloud cover, it coincided with less wind and um, a ice doesn't form on your guides as easily when it's humid. Even, you know, 33 degrees and humid, you don't have ice on your guides as easily as when it's 33 degrees and um, dry, a dry 33 degrees. And there's less wind. It's just more comfortable. And, you know, then I started noticing fishing is a whole lot better. And, and so is it the cloud cover? That has a lot to do with it. It's kind of hard to disentangle parts of this equation because when you have a, a falling barometer, generally speaking, it coincides with um, some cloud cover relative to less cloud cover when the barometer was in the position it was in um, before it's falling. And when you have a plummeting barometer, generally means the front's coming in and um you see you see fish activity for sure I, i'm i'm gonna stop myself short of proclaiming any sort of um truth or real knowledge in this one but i, I, I will float it the the barometric pressure so how much air is how much the air weighs right at a given time would or can influence the behavior of anything that would have to um, either fight against it or use it. And so when you when you look at bug activity, and, and this is where it's like, uh, am I a burnt out trout guide or is is there some simple you know correlation in this observation? When you, when you look at a falling barometer, um, and you're also out in the trout stream, and it's a buggy time of year, you see far more bugs coming out while that barometer is falling and when it's low than you do when it's high. So whether or not that's some sort of implication on surface tension of the water, um, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm going to be around long enough or pay enough attention to that to get measurable data. But I, I do know from experience that being out there during falling barometers, during low barometers versus high, you effectively are looking at chummed water versus, you know, when, when the bugs aren't moving around a lot and there's a big sun, bay fish are weary. You know, things are getting eaten by ospreys and herons all the time. And, you know, that's that's why you should be fishing under trees. Um, more bugs start coming out 
when the browners fall and more fish start eating those things, it's just the whole system start moving around a little bit more. And yeah, I mean, absolutely for big fish when there's just like salt water or any other um, food chain, you got smaller things getting eaten by other things and then other things eat those sort of bigger things. And yeah, you're, you're gonna, you're, you're going to have a set of conditions where um, a big trout is more inclined to feed. And that very much goes into two other sets or two other conditions one of which is, is it going to die? Does it think it's going to die? And so that's cover and water clarity and cloud cover. So fawn barometer aside, um, outside of really very rare situations that I don't think are worth even exploring, fawn barometer aside, um, you know, that, that big fish hunting time is can be capitalized on when when you also have some of these other conditions so it's not like a fallen barometer is just going to have two foot trout swimming around the stream in broad daylight low clear water um so you need some water clarity uh, ideally elevated flows ideally some cloud cover or other inclement weather happening and then the last one is you're fishing so Falling barometers aren't free fish and bitiness, you know, when it's just sometimes they're just after it. And none of it means that that fish are going to jump on your line. So you still have to be working in order to to capitalize on that stuff. And you'll still find, I mean, some of the most frustrating days I've had are when everything is lined up. And Maybe that's because the only fish going at, at that point are the big ones, and so you're not going to see very many. But it happens where all those conditions are right, and you just can't get them to go. Um, but, you know, the, the best way to to do that is to continue to fish as though they're going to be next to impossible to, ca- or to, to catch, which means you're casting, you're retrieving, you know, your, your thought process, the sections you're fishing. None of that should change, and, and you should assume it's going to be really tough. Um, because yeah, j- just y- you have all these perfect conditions. That just means that things are sort of tipped in your favor. Um, I'm going to stop there. Yeah, it's kind of like Joe Dirt says: you can't have no in your heart, right? <laughs> <laughs> there is there is way more truth to that one than i'd like to admit yeah there you go and and so you know folks we love questions on the articulate fly you can email them to us you can dm us on social media whatever is easiest for you and if we use your question i will send you some articulate fly swag and uh, we're going to enter you in a drawing for two days of fishing with ellis and a night at the watauga river lodge so folks you got to get us your questions uh, Instagram is probably the best way, but we'll take them in any social media channel or email address you want to use. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, maybe more optimistic, uh, than Ellis. I think we're getting into the cooling front where he's starting to see trees, uh, change leaves. I think, uh, trout season in the Southeast is going to be great if we can get a little bit of rain. And so folks, you owe it to yourself to get out there and catch a few tight lines, everybody tight lines, Ellis. Appreciate it, Mark.